Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Public Radio in San Francisco. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. It's been a rocky year for students, parents, and teachers in San Francisco, and the turbulence doesn't seem to be letting up. Even as the district prepares to welcome its youngest students back to classrooms next month, controversy over a series of tweets by a school board member is stirring up anger and calls for her to resign. It's all fueling existing efforts to recall or reconstitute the school board. Meanwhile, the district superintendent is preparing to retire come June, even as declining student enrollment imperils the district budget for years to come. We're going to dig into the state of education in San Francisco. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. San Francisco's school district is in crisis. More than a year after the pandemic prompted the district to shutter city schools, students are still learning at home. And while the youngest students are set to return next month, there's still no plan to bring back middle and high schoolers. Meanwhile, enrollment is dropping and the district superintendent, Vincent Matthews, says he'll retire at the end of this school year. On top of all that, the school board has been mired in a series of largely self-inflicted crises, from international ridicule over a plan to rename some schools to anger over changes to the admissions process at the city's most prestigious public high school. Some parents are attempting to recall the school board, while others are pushing a ballot measure to change the way the board is chosen. All this as another controversy erupts. School Board Commissioner Allison Collins is facing widespread calls to resign after a series of 2016 tweets were resurfaced that many are seeing as anti-Asian or racist. Joining me to discuss this this hour is Heather Knight, columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, Ida Mojadad, staff writer covering education at the San Francisco Examiner, and Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter and producer here at KQED News. Thank you so much to all of you for joining me this morning. Thanks for having us. 
Joe, I want to start with you. Um, you know, we want to talk more broadly this hour about the school board and, and, and where in the district and where we go from here in San Francisco. Um, but I, I was hoping we could kind of begin with you laying out what's happened over the past week with the school board member, Allison Collins, and where things stand today. I know the school board actually meets this afternoon. Sure. So this this story came from our friends at the San Francisco Chronicle, from Jill Tucker, education reporter, uh, where these tweets surfaced from Allison Collins back in 2016. And she was starting a Twitter thread where she was asking people to, you know, to highlight hate speech or bullying of Asian students. But within the thread, she goes and makes assertions like uh, that some members of the Asian uh, community perpetuate the model minority for their own gain and compares makes a kind of a, a comparison to a uh, 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 house uh an n-word that i don't I, a word i would not want to repeat on air uh that many found extremely offensive uh the comparisons uh people have said are broad generalizations that uh perpetuate harmful stereotypes and they come at a time as we all know when you know the there's uh anti-asian uh, anti-asian hate rising uh lots of attacks in the community and a lot of fear so the the tweet surfaced at a time when we we're already talking about the harm to the Asian community. And ever since then, uh, just about every elected official in the city, nearly everyone, has signed on to a letter asking her to resign. Uh, the Fuhrer the has been uh, pretty strong. Yeah. Ida Mojadad, thank you for joining us as well. Um, what Can you talk a little bit about uh, Alison Collins' response to this? She wrote a post online, right? Um defending and and uh, well i don't know i don't want i don't know if we want to characterize it as an apology because many people feel that it's not exactly um a lot still don't feel like it was the the right apology that met what people were needing to hear at this moment and she went on to to um outline how it was taken out of context at the time of of trump and everything and um even the people who have not yet called for her to resign or are you know have spoken against the tweets, but are not asking for her to resign. The remaining colleagues of hers on the Board of Education, um, some have still felt that that apology was not enough and that she needs to do more. And again, I don't want to spend all day on, on Alison Collins and this, but Joe, I mean, this is not the first time this year that she has made headlines um, around some of her comments, right? I mean, we saw anger at, at a Facebook post over her characterizing parents that were creating learning pods, um, a dust up at Lowell High School during the debate over the admissions process there. I mean, is this, do you think this is just because of the moment we're in and the terrible AAPI violence we're seeing, or is this a bigger sort of issue with this board member or the board broadly? Yeah, I think that's a that, that's a really interesting point because what we saw, we we can kind of see the feeling from her colleagues uh, in elected officials in San Francisco largely by the negative space they create. Right? They 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 abandoned her so quickly. They went. Uh, over and called for her resignation so quickly, partially because of what she said this time, but partially because of what you're saying. There certainly has been many instances where she's kind of um, drawn public ire with her um, uh, social media statements and may not have built uh, effective political bridges uh, or community bridges to have that trust that people knew where she was coming. She made an argument uh, a lot that she was misunderstood, that her context was uh, different than what people are painting it as. But if she had built that trust with the community, if that was there in the first place, she may have had more ground to make 
that argument um, uh, politically. Uh, and we saw that she didn't have that ground and she didn't have those allies. And that may be something, and I'd love to touch on this further later, uh, that the entire board is going through. Yeah, we'll get. let's get into that. I do want to just quickly ask, I mean, Ida, I mentioned that the school board is meeting this afternoon. We know that half of the other members have called for her to resign. Is there anything we expect to see this afternoon or that they could do um, to address this issue? As far as I'm told, um, it's not, it's, uh, there's still no agenda item to address it. It will likely come out in the general public comment section. Uh, I know folks are already organizing around that. And um, uh, Commissioner Jenny Lamb has asked for uh, a public apology from Allison, from Commissioner Collins, um, to be made at that meeting. I don't know at what point in the agenda that would come up. And, um, but again, I think public comment will be where more of this attention is is at because there's not really another item within the meeting that has the platform for that. Um, and it, it will be really interesting to see how the how they kind of either address it right off the bat or if they they carry on. And sticking with you for a moment, or, or Joe, if you want to jump in, I mean, I know that the city, we've seen the mayor and essentially the entire board of supervisors, even folks who I think Allison Collins counted as allies in the past, call for her resignation. Is there anything that City Hall could do to step into this and, and force her out or, or, or to change the dynamic here? Joe, you want to take yeah. that? Yeah, sure. There, there is a process by which... Um, uh, a mayor can remove uh, a, a school board member, but it requires a lot of different approvals from uh, different bodies. And it's a bo- onerous process with a high bar. So it's unclear at this point if this incident beats that bar. All right. I want to bring in Heather Knight, columnist at the San Francisco Chronicle. Heather, we really appreciate you joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. So, Heather, you have watched the school board. I don't want to date you here, but I think the better part <laughs> of two decades, I mean, before coming oh to God. City Hall to watch, to cover, you know, the mayor and the board and then becoming a columnist, you actually were the beat reporter um, for the school district. So I want to ask you to put this in the kind of bigger conversation we're having here in context. I mean, are, this, are the problems that have come up um, this year with the, the, the school board new to San Francisco? Or or do you think we're just seeing a sort of a brighter light being shined on them because of the pandemic and distance learning and all the hardship that parents and students and teachers are are really shouldering? Um, Probably a little bit of both. Um, Of course, I was covering it back as a toddler if I'd been looking at it for (laughs) decades, right? But um, there's always been budget crises, which we still have. There's always been tensions between the superintendent and school board, which we still have. Um, I was just looking back at the story I wrote when Superintendent Arlene Ackerman was pushed out by a much more um, progressive school board that fought with her for years. And um, so these kinds of issues have always been there. But I think the light of the pandemic and kids being home and parents just being at their wits end after a year of this with, like you said, middle and high schoolers having no date to return, um, it's just compounded it much more. You know, the the desperation for some leadership coming from the school board and school district that they're not seeing. And then you mix in all of these distractions from the school board, like the renaming of schools or the changes at Lowell or all these different lawsuits. And it's just, I think, so much more than we've seen. Yeah. I mean, Joe uh, Fitzgerald Rodriguez, you also, you know, cover the politics of the city for a long time. I mean, how do you see this fitting into the broader political context, both at City Hall, but also among parents and and just San Francisco residents? 
Yeah, and I, I will note, I had just graduated to San Francisco High School when Arlene Ackerman was pushed out. So that, <laughs> oh, <laughs> fine, Joe, making that. me and Heather feel old here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, ask, you ask a good question. And, the, and, and I think that the broader context that we're seeing, and again, to bring in uh, the Asian community here, who is so key in all of this, not just Colin's tweets, but in a lot of it, uh, of these things we're seeing with the school board, we, you have to remember uh, the Chinese community, uh, certainly, and the Asian community more broadly, are a very highly sought after voting block in San Francisco. Um, you know, the, there is a, especially in the Chinese community, there's a bit of a tight-knit media ecosystem with the Tsingtao newspaper, World Journal, KTSF. We're seeing a rise in the past few years of WeChat as kind of a very, uh, uh, very prominent social media where there are groups of like hundreds who kind of disseminate information with each other. Um, and in that ecosystem, we're seeing, um, you know, that community flex its power. And so you don't want to be a politician who is on the wrong side of that community, A, for just the right reasons of, you know, right and wrong, right? But also B, because there can be some very serious consequences for you as an elected official later on. So they're going to listen to that community. They're trying to center that community as much as they can in this. And that's a really important point, I think, to keep in the back of your mind as we have all these discussions. Although we're saying that, saying that i'm going to say on the school reopening um side of things that community has had a decidedly different reaction than the white community uh, a, a poll released in january from sfusd showed 80 percent of white parents wanted schools uh wanted their kids back in schools whereas the chinese community in particular said 36 percent were comfortable going back there's a very different feeling between these communities on school reopenings yeah um and Ida Mojadad, I'm curious, like, have you seen any of this play out in terms of either different constituencies? I mean, we should say, I think more than half of the students at SFUSD do identify as Asian American. So this is a big chunk of the school population. But I mean, what have you seen over the course of this year in terms of how parents and others are kind of engaging differently? Uh, yeah, um, as as Joe mentioned, you know, there's there's definitely different preferences that have emerged around reopening. And then you can see the demographic breakdown also, you know, with like English learners and people who are, uh, you know, for however their metrics are socioeconomically disadvantaged. And um, they they um, I, sorry, in, in exactly which which aspect are you asking about? Oh, well, you know what? We're actually coming up on a break. So um, okay. I'm going to, yeah, yeah, we can, we can come back to this. Um, I wanted to tell our listeners, if you're parents or students um, and you have uh, comments, call us now, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. You can also email questions to forum at kqed.org. We're talking about the turbulence at the San Francisco School District, and we'll be back after this short break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We're talking about the turbulence at San Francisco School District. I'm Marisa Lagos. I'm here with Heather Knight, columnist at the San Francisco Chronicle, Ida Mojadad, staff writer at the San Francisco Examiner, and Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter, producer for KQED News. Um, Ida, I want to come back to you. So I was kind of asking like what the politics are and, and, um, I should have said this at the top. Full disclosure, I do have a child at SFUSD, so I'm hearing a lot of these conversations. And I'm curious. I mean, we have seen a real sort of uh, uprising of of parents who maybe weren't that involved in the past, um, both pushing schools to reopen, but also now um, writing some potential things that we might be voting on in the city around this recall of at least half the school board or three members um, and and a charter amendment. Can we start with the recall petition? I mean, what, what are... What is this about and and when might it come to fruition if it does? Yeah, so people have been talking about this recall effort, um, I I would say more seriously since the beginning of the year, Uh, at the end of the fall when it became you know, more obvious that the schools weren't going to, when they finally said they wouldn't reopen this calendar year, which they had to clarify because that made people freak out to think that they wouldn't open the full academic year. Um, I think that's when people really realized that this was getting, you know, uh, pushed down the line um, for a variety of reasons. You know, the pandemic was still in full swing as well. So um, this, uh, the, the recall effort, like I said, was was talked about more seriously. And then, then there were, uh, you know, people were trying to figure out exactly what they had to do. Recall efforts can be very difficult to to pull off and get the amount of signatures, as we are seeing with Governor Gavin Newsom. It looks like it's it, it's happening in that case. So it'll be interesting to see how that recall effort intersects with the, the local levels. Um, but they. The, some of the school board members who were just uh, just sworn in are not eligible because they've been in office for less than six months. So the three that are left to that are eligible for recall at this time would be um, would be um, Commissioner Allison Collins, Commissioner um, Gabriela Lopez, both are, who are uh, vice president and president, respectively, and then also Commissioner Fauga Maliga, who were all elected in 2018. And so the the people who who put together that recall effort were actually the ones who blasted off the, the they put in ads the the tweets that resurfaced from from Allison Collins um that that someone put together who was who was angry over over some decisions that had been made uh, regarding Lowell High School um and the change to merit-based admissions and that is a school that is uh, considered a magnet school. They have a, a test that they have to to complete to fit in. It's it's um, a, a very academically competitive, and a lot of Asian Americans are you know they they hinge a lot on on um, going there, and you know a lot a lot of them say this is our chance to have a a um, you know really. A really good education. Um, and then, of course, a lot of other a lot of other SFUSD um, community members are like, "What about the rest of us SFUSD?" So that's been an ongoing ongoing discussion. And so, Lowell High School has actually played a really big role in this recall effort in the tweets that resurfaced from Allison Collins, and uh, they they have uh, they have to wait until the Department of Elections actually says, okay, this is all certified and everything. And then they can start their, their gathering. And I am curious to see if they'll be given more time because of the pandemic, just like the Newsom recall effort did. <clears throat> so, but that won't, an election won't be uh, coming up until the fall, probably October or November as well. All right. I'm going to bring in Helen from San Francisco. Helen, thanks for calling. Thanks for having me. So what's on your mind? Um, yeah, I was just thinking that the way that the the city uh, elected officials, the structure under which they're elected, really prioritizes their career 
as elected officials in San Francisco. And rather than serving the best interests of the student population, and I just wanted to see if the um, the guests had any commentary on that, is that the um, elected board members right now probably have a handful of other, um, you know, uh, wants, desires, and wishes for their career in politics, rather than a background and understanding of our student population and serving their needs. And so, therefore, a lot of their actions kind of symbolically perpetuate their um, career as a politician rather than, a, a you know, um, well-contextualized um, server of, of education. Thank you. Um, That's, I think, Oh, yeah. Go uh, ahead. Essentially related was just that um, how much I love the SFUSD teachers and how like great of a job I think they've done throughout this pandemic. And the board has really kind of discredited education as an institution in San Francisco because their actions just are a pure embarrassment for the entire, you know, education system in the city. All right, Helen, both really good points. And I think also kind of complicated on the second one, because I think a lot of the teachers chose to teach in a city like San Francisco because they might believe in some of the same sort of progressive values. But I think to Helen's point, don't always feel supported. But Heather, I want to get you on that first point, which is something we've heard a lot more talk about lately, which is that should the school board be elected? Why is it? And and is it used more of a, as a springboard to other things? And you've kind of looked, dig, dug a little into the history of, of our election system and our school board uh, a district here, right, in San Francisco. Yeah, um, the school board has definitely been a stepping stone for politicians in the city. Many have gone on to become supervisors and advanced even beyond that. Um, and um, there's actually an effort going on. So many pieces of news to keep track of. But yeah, I, I wrote right. <laughs> a recent column about a, a separate effort, not the recall, to um, change the way school board members are um, get into their seats. So there's an effort, a charter amendment is likely to be on the June 2022 ballot that would remove um, it from voters entirely um, on the assumption that voters, you know, down ballot races don't get much attention. They don't really know what they're doing um, when they're voting. And most um, San Franciscans don't have kids full stop. And a lot of them don't have kids in the public schools. And so um, there's just not a lot of attention paid to this particular race. And so the idea would be to um, have the mayor or the supervisors or some split of city officials uh, appoint the seven people to the school board. And actually, that's how it used to work in the city um, for decades until the early 1970s. And it's an interesting little tidbit of San Francisco history, how this changed was that um, there was a movement on the school board towards busing and desegregating schools. And some parents did not like that. And they wanted um, just to be able to send their kids to neighborhood schools and not be bused. And so they actually pushed a change to um, have their fellow voters elect the school board, which passed um, on the 1971 ballot. And it didn't work in their favor, though, because um, the city actually voted in uh, school board members who supported busing and desegregation efforts anyway. And doesn't that just show how complicated <laughs> education, I mean, debates so have always been, right? And and I think a lot of the best efforts, not just in San Francisco, but nationally to make things more equitable have often not led to what people are interested in. Um, I, I want to go to another, bring in another caller, Nick in San Francisco. Nick, you're on forum. Hi. Uh, uh, hi. Good morning. Um, I'm an Asian American. I'm a SFUSD parent. I live out here in the outer Richmond. My daughter's actually a senior at George Washington High School. And I'm absolutely in support of Board Commissioner 
Allison Collins. This whole issue started from the recall effort and the consistent criticism. So uh, both her and Gabrielle Lopez, been, it's been really, really ugly. They've been elected, absolutely elected to be activists and representing the needs of underrepresented and marginalized students and families in San Francisco. And to see, like, lo and behold, when they've been doing just that, they've been attacked left and right. I mean, this whole recall effort has been spearheaded by this couple with kids who moved to San Francisco just two months ago mm-hmm. and trying to use the current violence against Asian Americans as a weapon against Allison Collins' comments on Twitter four years ago. Those comments were really difficult to read, but really important to understand in terms of her points, her perspectives, and especially the context of what she was referring to. I mean, this is exactly exactly the worst version of liberalism that prioritizes people with money and power over the change that I thought we were supposed to be a model community for. And adding on to that, the whole layer of local politics and speaking to the constituency that Joe alluded to earlier. I mean, as an Asian American parent in San Francisco, this is so heartbreaking and it's ugly and it makes me really sad. Nick, can I just ask you, I mean, beyond this current dust up, how, how do you feel about the district and how they've handled and the, and the school board this past year of, of pandemic learning and, and reopening? I mean, we're in a pandemic, as I've been saying over and over again. I'm a small business owner. Um, businesses big and small have been, you know, trying to figure this out. We've never had to do this before. And the ways that everyone is sympathetic to that, but then there comes a limit. Uh, there's a limit for a lot of folks, it seems. And when it comes to you know, uh, distance learning and such. I know that it's been hard. It's been hard for us. My daughter's a senior. Arguably, her class has been hit in many ways the hardest of all the students. That said, it's like, you know, these aren't things that have clear-cut answers that are being, being you know, turned away from or that the, the, the leadership is not doing. They're trying to make the best decisions that they can, and they have the support of me and a lot of other parents. And so this vocal minority just really dominating the conversation. It's really the worst version of these things playing out in front of us. All right, Nick, thank you so much for your call. Uh, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, I mean, I think Nick speaks to a lot of important points. Um, but there is a sense among, you know, some parents that there hasn't been a sense of urgency. And we've seen, I mean, to the point of this, you know, move to potentially make the board appointed, there's been a lot of tension between the city and the school district over testing protocols, things like that. I mean, what's your sense on the kind of the dynamic there and whether, I don't know, has the district not been open to help in the way that some people want it to be? Well, I, I in terms of Who's helping and how, you know, there's been a lot of uh, critique of uh, the mayor from the school board uh, saying, hey, we, we need you to come in and help. Uh, there was something someone was telling me uh, the other day, and I was kind of pondering it. I'm not sure if I fully have come around to it yet, but a lot of folks saying that, you know, Mayor Ed Lee's strength was being a great convener, get everyone to the table. Let's get everyone to uh, kind of come to a consensus. He was the consensus mayor, right? That was his nickname. Uh, we saw London's strength, Mayor Breed's strength uh, in the pandemic has been kind of taking decisive actions, kind of just kind of leaping forward. And uh, uh, when that needed to happen, she got a lot of accolades around the country for her decisions with uh, the pandemic. But maybe the consensus aspect is not necessarily her strength. And we, I heard some, from some uh, longtime uh, political folks, political watchers who were speculating to me that, you know, maybe uh, a Mayor Ed Lee perhaps would have gotten all the heads together in a room and gotten them to talk across the table with one another. Um, one other political uh, bit of uh, fallout I did want to uh, refer back to with Heather mentioning the charter amendment. 
that might see the school board be appointed or not. I think it's um, that that effort may get a lot of fuel because of mm-hmm. Collins's comments. And the longer she stays on there, some people have been um, uh, telling me that the more likely it is that you know they will be used. Those comments will be used in uh, 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 advertisements to the Chinese community when it comes around the recall effort. She's basically handing them a bullhorn to make their argument. Yeah, yeah. It also puts uh, Commissioner, uh, board, sorry, Board President Gabriela Lopez a bit at risk too because she's the only one on the board who, or sorry, not she's not not at this stage anymore. But she has defended. Uh, her to say, uh, you know, it's time for restorative justice and moving forward. And um, so it, it does put the rest of them at risk. Um, again, being her being the one who's up for recall and then Fauga Malika being the other one, but he has come out against uh, against uh, asking for her to resign as well. And it does seem like Lopez and Collins just sort of have been in a lot of ways the most criticized over a lot of issues. Maybe it's because of their leadership roles or just they're um, speaking to the press more. Um, I want to bring in Amanda in San Francisco. Hi, thanks so much for your show today. Um, I have two kids in the district and I've been following everything really closely. I was really struck by the statement by district administrators condemning the tweets. And I'm wondering with the superintendent leaving, the staff reeling, the budget in shambles, are we on our way to a state takeover of the district? And is there any path there? Um, what would the process look like? All right. Anybody uh, want to take that? Heather, have you heard anything about that? I don't know the details of the process, but I have heard that rumbling. I think it would um, probably mostly be about the budget. Um, we know from some numbers that came in yesterday that kindergarten applications for the fall are down 10%. Um, and we it's unclear for upper grades what the enrollment will be like in the fall. I think a lot of parents are still deciding what to do, depending on what how things shake out with middle school and high school. But those enrollment numbers could mean a lot less money coming in. And um, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of acknowledgement from the school board yet on how to how to deal with that. Because uh, because we should say that enrollment is tied to budgets, right? There's like money tied to each body, essentially enrolled in the district. I mean, I, I want to get Heather and Ida on this. I mean, what about the issue of the superintendent, Vincent Matthews, announcing he'll retire at the end of this year? I mean, still really in the middle of this crisis around the pandemic. Uh, Heather, uh, what do you make of that? Do you think that was sort of something he'd been planning all along? Or do you think he's frustrated Um or and or, I mean, I don't know. I think some people might blame him for a lot of this stuff as well. <laughs> yeah. Again, looking back at my coverage of Arlene Ackerman when you asked me to be on the show yesterday, um, I <laughs> I was um, struck by she was much more, um, you know, uh, direct. You could say she she was very outspoken about her issues with the school board, and you never um, didn't know what she was thinking. Um, and I think Vince Matthews is a very different leader. He um, you could kind of see in some school board meetings how frustrated he appeared to be, but he didn't say a whole lot um, against the school board because they are technically his bosses. Um, but he, there was that issue that I think set off a lot of this problem with distance learning last summer where he asked for permission to hire a consultant to help figure out the reopening process. And um, the school board said no. And he said at the time uh, that was a real body blow. That was his quote. And it, he had no, no path. He didn't know what to do without that outside help. Um, and he didn't get it. And we've seen what's happened since. And so um, in his um, farewell note, he said something to the effect of that he wanted this school board to find somebody better aligned with their values. Um, and so I think that 
for him, that was kind of pointed. Um, so I, yeah. I think he intended SFUST to be his final position, but I think that this past year and how so much turmoil definitely um, made that even less tenable to stay here much longer. Yeah. And Ida Mojadad, I mean, that seems very complicated because you do have this recall effort, a lot of anger at the school district, but they will be the ones picking his replacement, right? Yeah, they will. Um, it's not clear exactly the timeline that they're that they're going to be getting that in order, but I imagine it'll take some time. And, you know, a lot of educational institutions have had this issue. City College of San Francisco is also looking for a chancellor. There's a lot of uh, va- there's a lot of vacuums of um, educational leadership. And so that will also make it hard to find uh, someone for uh, that, w- that fits the needs of the district and say for City College at the price that they that they can as well. So it'll be very competitive uh, to to select a new leader on on so many levels for all these other educational institutions. I think recruiting is going to be really hard because anybody would would look at the headlines, you know, out of this district if they're considering applying or taking a job. And I don't know, it'd it'd be, I don't know what kind of person wants to jump into this right now because, you know, so many crises coming from every direction. Yeah, and it's worth noting how challenging it's been in the past, uh, Joe, just a few minutes left before our break. But um, what's your take on this? I mean, do you think that the school board will have the kind of confidence of, of the community to, to make this choice? Well, here's the thing is, is that the, 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 the recall group is definitely got in its crosshairs the folks who are um, kind of politically against their, their, their thoughts on this. I mean, I was inside the recall, the SF school board. A group, they were applauding the Collins tweet saying it takes a thousand eyes searching for one to spot gold. It was an organized effort to research these people, right? Mm-hmm. So you can bet if anyone is opposing them politically on this, they are going to do this oppo research on them again and try to dig something up. And, and that process, I'm sure, is still continuing. All right. We are talking about the turbulence at the San Francisco School District with Heather Knight, columnist at San Francisco Chronicle, Ida Mojadad, staff writer at the San Francisco Examiner, and KQED's own Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. If you're a parent or student or just community member, we want to hear your questions and concerns about our school system. Call us now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. You can email your questions to forum at kqed.org as well. We will after a short break and uh, dig into more of this issue on the district itself. Stay with us. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. I'm Marisa Lagos. We're talking about the turbulence at the San Francisco School District with Heather Knight, columnist at the San Francisco Chronicle, Ida Mojadad, staff writer at the San Francisco Examiner, and reporter, producer for KQED News, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. Um, I want to talk about, in the last 20 minutes, about the future. Um, 
And I have a couple of comments. Uh, Alana tweets, I've effectively written off two and a half years of my child's education for one reason or another. As a public school supporter, it's beyond disheartening. And Ruth says with all the turbulence, it's hard to get the board's attention on other issues. A coalition of gun violence prevention groups has asked the board to send a letter to parents informing them about California laws requiring safe storage of guns in the home to make sure kids don't find and use them. This should not be controversial if only we could get the board's attention. And Jackie writes, I've never understood why cities don't have more of a role to play with the school district. The city should have some standing to ensure that schools are serving their constituents. Um, I want to, you know, talk, we've been talking a lot about the school board, which is obviously where the buck kind of stops, but Heather Knight, I mean, the district itself, there's all, there's, I think there's always going to be tension between a, a district and, and individual schools, but between Matthews leaving and just the kind of broader concerns we're hearing, I mean, how much of this is about the district? Because a lot of the, you know, this is a bureaucratic organization um, with people who last way longer than school board members. Yeah, um, I think that there's a lot of frustration towards the school board and the school district itself from parents. Um, I hear I hear all the time that parents love their teachers, they love their school sites, but they just get so frustrated with the central office and the school board. And um, and I think that that's huge. I think the school district has not done a good job communicating about reopening. Every time they put out like a 50-page slideshow that's like single-spaced and extremely confusing, and I'm thinking, I can't figure this out. You know, so many parents um, will not be able to make sense of this. And I think uh, communication needs to be much better towards parents. There was also that false start um, when they said kids would come back in January and then the day before winter break, they said, oh, never mind. Um, it's just been kind of one thing after another. You don't really feel like there's um, strong leadership or that people know what they're doing. And I don't much that. I mean, this is something Heather's talking about that I think became clear to many parents during some of these school board meetings. I know that the one last summer, for example, where they laid out why they weren't reopening felt kind of like a fait accompli to many parents, right? That they didn't, that they, they feel like they're being asked to weigh in, but, but that the decision's already been made by the district. Yeah, and the, the district has actually been uh, careful in their language to say, you know, for the first time, uh, a tentative reopening date if the indicators allow and the same thing for the January 25th. And that's also I think also part of the frustration is, is not knowing exactly when everybody would be in back in uh, be able to be back in school because it, they, they kind of do it in waves. So by the time one starts later waves it takes a little bit of time to get everybody in there and settled in there. It's not like one day where everybody suddenly returns. And um, so, you know, they, I think the having, having that's probably part why they've been so hesitant to set a formal date, which they only did after they reached a agreement with the union leadership. So, you know, I think the, the not knowing has been a real, I think that's had a really, really big impact on a lot of everything that's been going on because the longer parents and, and community members don't have those answers for whatever reasons, so there could be some valid reasons behind that and some maybe not, but for whatever reasons, they haven't, they haven't been getting those answers. And that kind of has people wondering, like, what should I be planning? And then they turn their attention to, to things like this and uh, to all the to what they can do politically to get something done. Right. And I think I mean, we I don't think we actually have a start date for next school year either. Right. So um, I want Not as of now they yeah. are they are uh, uh, there is actually a resolution that will be introduced today uh, by Commissioner Jenny Lamb to, uh, you know, basically ensure that there will be the the 
superintendent Vincent Matthews has said, you know, that is our, our plan. Uh, but that, that parents aren't confident in that just kind of goes to show how, how much they're, they're not sure they can, they can take some, some words for what they are. Yeah. I want to bring in a uh, caller, Adam in San Francisco. Adam, you're with us. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to partly take issue with the previous caller saying that the parents um, supporting the recall effort are a vocal minority. I think the bigger issue is we see that San Francisco has some of the lowest COVID rates of any city in the country. And at this pace, we will be last in the country to reopen schools to our kids. And there's something very wrong with this picture. All right, Adam, thank you. I mean, Joe Fitzgerald, Ooh, I'd Rodriguez. Re- I'd really, yeah, I really want to talk about that. <laughs> I, I think, you know, <laughs> it it's really bears mentioning that while San Francisco ha- has had, and, you know, certainly we're in a different picture now, but when a lot of this discussion was happening earlier uh, in months prior, while San Francisco did have a low, uh, you know, uh, uh, low COVID rates, it was not the same everywhere. And the Latinx community, especially, I'm a Latino myself. I'm a former San Francisco USC student, Sherman Elementary, Marina Middle School, Wallenberg High School, Soda, uh, uh, Ruth Asawa Soda. And I will tell you that Latino families are experiencing something very different during the pandemic than white families. And there are a heck of a lot more of them in SFUSD. And Latinx families have been particularly disproportionately hit by the pandemic. So when I talk to them, around school reopening. Um, I, I heard a lot of folks saying, hey, I live, we live with our grandparents in the house. We have a multi-generational household. This is also not typical of white families. And we are worried about transmission because we have vulnerable people in our households and our community has been really hit hard by the pandemic. So you know, some, some parents are gonna feel differently than others. And a lot of that is due to lived experience. <laughs> In a, in a big way, when I when I hit up a supervisor asking for help identifying uh, uh, parents of color who were uh, really angry about school reopenings to talk to them for an, for an interview, uh, th- this one supervisor who is in a district that is heavily represents districts that are heavily people of color said only white parents have reached out to me about being angry about school reopenings. There is definitely an equity issue. Not to say there aren't parents of color who want school who don't who who. So not to say that there are not parents of color who want uh, schools to be reopened. I spoke to a, a Chinese uh, San Franciscan parent just a little while ago who said she was on the reopening school group. But you know what? She told she even in that interview, she acknowledged to me that her family, her cousins who live in Chinatown and SROs, multi-generational families, also felt very differently about reopening than she did. She acknowledged that difference in experience. But I think I mean, it's, it's really complicated important to for, highlight that. Yeah. And I mean, it's complicated for every single family. And I do think, you know, the dynamics now with most teachers being vaccinated and, and, and the vaccines opening up to a broader group or making it different. But I, I mean, you know, this hits on another topic, Ida Mojada, that I want to, to, to make sure to get to Um in our final 10 minutes or so, which is this issue of declining enrollment. So we saw this week that we, we sort of hit on this, but um, that there were 500 fewer ap- kindergarten applications this year compared to last. I think it's a 10% decline. Um, I mean, do you have any sense of how this past year could impact what the district looks like, who's going to these schools. Um, to Joe's point, is it largely more affluent families who have been able to pull their kids out, you know? Uh, yeah, the what 
exactly who was enrolled this fall is going to is a really big if and will have massive implications for the budget and how the district can plan around everything that they do really. And, uh, you know, and judging by the assignments, you know, there's just, there was a slight dip in um, white students or families that apply between last year to this year. And then same for, um, same for Chinese families, but it went up for Hispanic and up for uh, black, but for black families, but those were, those were very slight. So it really just depends on who actually registers and enrolls, but that is something that they are seeing a, a difference in and I think maybe it'll be different the following year after that because there's still so much that is in flux but the budget the impacts on the budget are going to be really big and the state has tried to to uh you know kind of plan for that in their budget and you know hold holding uh I think it's like the term is like hold no harm uh knowing that you know for attendance rates and everything like that that this past year and by the time they're back in school for, for normal for the fall, <laughs> ideally speaking, um, that, uh, you know, having those, getting, getting them back to normal uh, will, will take some, some smoothing out uh, in attendance and enrollment budget-wise. Yeah. Uh, Julie writes, and I want to get you on this, Heather, um, the uproar on issues in SFUSD during the time I've been a parent include segregation in math, racism at Lowell and changes to admission, racist Washington mural, and affluent white families demanding in-person school at any cost. Can anyone speak to the history of backlash against these kinds of forward movements and racial justice? Um, and she says that Commissioner Collins is the black woman who's been out, an outspoken racial justice advocate and asks if she could be paying a personal price for the moves towards racial justice in the city that SFUSD has finally been making. Um, Heather, I'd love to get you to respond to that. But also this question, I mean, so much of the conversations and the controversies are around these questions of equity. But at the same time, we have, I think, one of the biggest achievement gaps between black students and the rest of the students in, I think, the state. I mean, is are we... I don't, I don't know, spending so much time on these other issues that we're not really focusing on the academics, the most important thing to these kids. Yeah, I think uh, that's driving a lot of this frustration is that the achievement gap um, between white and Asian students and, and black and Latino students has always been white in SFUSD. And it's actually grown during the pandemic with distance learning. And so a lot of people say, well, why aren't we focused on that? And some school board members have even said that distance learning hasn't been very problematic and have kind of brushed off concerns about that. So um, it seems like the achievement gap should be the number one focus for people focused on equity, but it doesn't always feel that way. I wanted to add one thing from before about the um, reopening. I think a lot of parents are frustrated that, um, that the rest of the city is opening and kids can go eat indoors in restaurants and go to gyms and ride Ferris wheels and go to see movies and do all this stuff and they still can't go to school. So I think that is driving some of the confusion. It looks like Disneyland is going to open before um, middle school and high schools in San Francisco. So I think that is also contributing to this frustration. I just want to add one more point yeah. on, you know, whether to the, the anti-racism efforts and the, the academics, you know, these are a lot of things that students have actually been pushing for. Every time I would hear, you know, stuff about the murals, it's kind of astounding how many students would pour out and kind of have to pour out their hearts to talk about how it would, how it felt to see, you know, the, the murals at the George Washington High School. And uh, same thing for the students at Lowell, Lowell High School, you know, Black students are a really, really small minority there, and they have a lot of, uh, you know, racism that they've had to deal with. 
life just going to school and that does affect their learning as well Absolutely. and police and schools that's something that they uh that they had to uh, address last year too because the, the district has you know had to um uh, you know, with all the Black Lives Matter protests, they, they could finally have a real conversation around that. And, you know, a lot of uh, the younger, younger folks were saying, like, we don't want them in our schools. And of course, it, it opens up some of their complications on what happens when they do have to respond to an incident. But in any case, you know, this is something that they're saying that, that some students are saying this does affect our, our way of, of learning. But you know, I just, just yeah. to, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I uh, just want to ask if some of its PR, too, because. You know, I think there's an expectation that public officials should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. But we have seen multiple meetings where all these other issues came up before reopening. Right. And and that, I think, has maybe led to the feeling that the, that the district isn't able to do that. Joe, what are you going to say, though? Yeah. So I you know, I would say that, you know, families feel a little differently about issues. Again, I, I remember interviewing a uh, this is a few years ago, but I remember interviewing a uh, a black family who had their kindergartner um, arrested by a cop in an SF school. And it was incredibly traumatic for that child and for that family. So the issues of policing in schools matters a lot to that community uh, where it might not matter to a white family, um, to be honest. And they may feel that the reopening schools priority is a bigger priority and is being ignored for what they may call frivolous things, but it may not be frivolous to other people. Uh, but then again, I will say that there is a broader public message. And when you're explaining in politics, you're losing, right? Um, and uh, a lot of people I talk to, a lot of politicians, agree that the board erred in uh, highlighting some of these issues so publicly when reopening schools should have been the priority. And that it was a bit of a hmm, rookie move might be a little harsh, but, you know, like a, 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 a beginner politician move and uh, that may have uh, uh, spent their political capital in a way that harmed uh, their their causes. Right. Which, of course, gets back to this question about whether um, we should, you know, I mean, yeah, the question of is is this a political position and should it be right? I mean, that, that that's sort of at the heart of some of these debates. Um, so we have a couple comments, um, a question about uh, from Haley, who asked, can you address the role of the teachers union, United Educators of SF and school reopenings? They don't seem to be representing the teacher's interest in the long term. I don't know if anybody wants to jump in on that. Ida, do you think uh, our teachers, I mean, this, there was a long process. Obviously, the union's job is to represent their members. Are you hearing from teachers that they feel well represented in, in the final agreements that we've seen so far? Um, I do know that there was some, some, uh, some of them felt blindsided by the scheduling, but the union leadership has said that that was something that they also weren't, uh, weren't able to determine. So the, uh, around the, uh, how many hours and everything that they were in, uh, that they would be teaching in person and the scheduling that doesn't leave as much time to do grading and everything like that. But, um, I can't say I've heard a ton from, from teachers who are, um, there are definitely some teachers who are who were not on board with the slower reopening. They really wanted to be back in classrooms, even knowing the risks and everything, for sure. But the, they were, uh, I don't know, they, they were, I feel like, guided by a lot of, at least the outspoken teachers who said that they, they didn't feel safe. Yeah. Uh, Heather Knight, I know you did a column on that. I think, as in any group, there's probably a diversity of opinions. Um, I want to leave... A, a, a few minutes now to just, I want to ask you, Heather, I mean, what do you see as the future for SFUSD? And, and is there, I don't know, an opportunity for a positive change because of all of the conversations that are being had? 
Um, I think it's great that the city's finally paying attention to public schools for so long. It's been such an afterthought. City Hall just sort of dismisses it because they don't have much of a formal um, role at all. It's it's a state entity. So if there's one positive that comes out of this, I hope that um, people finally realize how important public schools are and devote time and energy. And if it remains a voter appointed position at the school board to research and just pay more attention, I think that that would be a good thing. Ida Mojadad, any, uh, any, any predictions for the future? Any, any positive that could come out of all of this? I agree. I mean, you know, schools were definitely an afterthought in a lot of ways. I mean, there were some supervisors who were on the school board who were taking a little more active role in everything, but uh, from like the, the greater like citywide public consciousness, it, it was, you know, um, more of a, a minor, a minor thing. And, uh, you know, it also is, in, like, like she mentioned, uh, as intertwined with, with city politics in terms of their the city hall operations and everything. So um, th- I think, you know, that has galvanized a lot of folks. So we'll see how it lasts after reopening and after whatever happens with the recall. The charter amendment will, I think, keep it in the, the public sphere. But, you know, I just hope that 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 the people who are actually in these schools and in, entrenched in these school communities are being able to be listened to throughout all this and not just kind of, <laughs> um, you know, not not taken into uh, consideration with the, the louder voices who are able to uh, to join in on this all of a sudden. Yeah. Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez is a longtime city resident and, and former SFUSD student. Are you optimistic? <laughs> I I am uh, I think a useful analogy is a uh, Gavin Newsom's recall effort in the French Laundry moment, right? Like you know, as 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 you as you have uh, uh, put in your in, in, in your interviews with him or, or put to him, you know, there there is there is this idea that the recall may not have got as much uh, wind behind it without that moment, right? And same with the school board and the charter amendment and uh, Gabriel, uh, sorry, not Gabriel, with Allison Collins. So when yeah. Allison Collins. Uh, uh, does this, we may see a huge transformative moment that could transform politics in San Francisco for years to come. All right, we're going to leave it there. We've been talking about the state of education in San Francisco, where the embattled school district goes from here. Thank you to Heather Knight from the San Francisco Chronicle, Ida Mojadad with the San Francisco Examiner, and KQED's Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. Stay tuned for another hour ahead. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.